0: Live from the Talking Joe studios, it's Talking Joe.
1: Talking Joe is a weekly podcast. podcast. Talking, Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe thought Joe we would last. Talking Joe is there. I each other like, like a married couple. Our podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Talking Joe. Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble The podcast on the air Talking, Joe's Talking Joe is there Talking Joe
2: Talking Joe Talking Joe is on the air
1: Hey hey hey, it's me Mark and welcome to episode 119 of Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. This is episode 6 of our looks at the G.I. Joe disavowed era, the Devil's Jew run. Today we're talking about the two-parter, Homecoming from G.I. Joe issues 14 and 15 from Devil's Jew uh, slash image in 2003. If you're new to the show, you can head over to our website, talkingjoe.co.uk, to find out all of the details. But without further ado, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, it's the real American Tim. It's Tim Finn.
0: Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners.
1: (laughs) I forgot to say hello to them. No, I didn't. Well, I don't know. It was implied. Mm. Stop showing me up. Uh, And then uh, rounding out our disavowed crew, it's G.I.J it's jay cordray
2: howdy wankers (laughs) (laughs) that was some that was some american western dialect mixed in with some british vulgar slang Uh, excellent our our regular uh, listeners and a howdy wanker to you too yeah i Um. i thought you were just doing a dreadnought (laughs) i would have added a go blimey to it if i was doing a dreadnought i mean that was maybe a little more austin powers though (laughs) <laughs> maybe uh, maybe with Inuenjo
0: running out or over. Uh, there's some kind of dreadnought-themed game we could play where we perform dialogue with oh, terrible, Lord. terrible British accents. Or it's like, guess if this is an actual dreadnought line of dialogue or something I heard at this local pub, something like that.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. It's, yeah. That's a well, legitimate
1: game there. Okay, Tim. Let's let's workshop it. You you can. <laughs> come up is it yeah is it dread knock or not a knock um uh, <laughs> something like that yeah so um i've i've uh, i've also gone back to the to the Joe, Joe. well i i said that it was going to be the finale um it's it's not by popular demand uh, i have gone back and come up with some more innuendo nonsense so uh, we'll close because you that. demanded it it's a big cover yes, you blue. demanded it I meant you um, as in Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what happened this week in terms of our excitement? There was a major reveal <laughs> because we saw major blood uh, six-inch oh, yeah. uh, reveal. Uh, yeah, it was looking quite cool. Um, and uh, sounds like we might uh, we might see an official release of that before too long. Uh, hopefully, uh, Hopefully, the distribution issues will not be too much of a a problem he can be in uh, everyone's hands but yeah looking good one of my favorite characters major blood i think
2: it looks really good without the helmet it looked a lot like the um like the way he appeared in that max brooks miniseries hearts and mine oh right Uh, yep Mm -hmm. you know with the gray hair and just really really scruffy looking but yeah i mean at first it was like the day that those images started popping up it was you know people were like is that real that can't be real that's not real (laughs) you know And, and then for like probably a, a easily a day and a half I was like ah that's probably photoshopped and then somebody posted a real quick little video maybe like 10 or 15 mm-hmm. seconds and they actually showed the boxes sitting on a table and I was like then yeah no there's no way that they could I mean there, there is but you know nobody'd go to all that trouble I've looked on like Hasbro pulse I can't find anything about it there but it, it definitely looks legit
1: yep yeah, yep yeah,
2: yep yeah, yeah for sure
1: there was a there was a proper full on um, YouTube uh, video. Uh, review of the, uh, of the figure that someone had, uh, lucked out and got there, got their hands on it. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it is certainly out there in the world, a, a really good, uh, how good do look these at people it. get these things? I wonder, <laughs> well, that, that YouTuber, I'm apologies. I can't remember the, his name off the top of my, uh, head, but he said, he's got a, basically a, a his address in, uh, in his, uh, contact details. And, um, it just randomly, uh, arrived in the post.
2: Huh. So, um, yeah. Kind of like Linda Moulton Howe and the Majestic Twelve papers. That's for all the fellow conspiracy theorists out there that, that know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that one it went
1: over my head.
2: <laughs> Look up hey. cattle mutilations, and you'll you'll
1: find it. And and Tim's week sounds like it's been a fill up of insulation. Insulation. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, my my comic book store under renovation took a major step forward. Uh, The, the wood studs, you know, the war, the walls got torn out last year and then rebuilt, but uh, it was still just the studs and uh, the insulators came and insulated the walls and the ceilings. So it looks like much more of a store uh, and it looks, the renovation has, has progressed. And I had been waiting, Um, hopefully something dramatic happens uh every week 4 weeks in a row starting with this past week. Mhm. So uh things things have been or felt slow because of permits, uh you know, supply chain delays or just cuz renovation is slow and uh there's there's a, a speeding up right now, which is very exciting.
1: And, and do you do you have an expectation or a hope uh of of when the store will actually be back open? Um not really it'll take what it takes
0: yeah i mean it's sort of any 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 week or a month i say it's is going to be wrong and we'll either <laughs> you know either we'll get someone's hopes up and then we won't be ready or yeah. uh it'll you know uh, i'll say before that oh we're ready after all um and then people will be surprised so uh i don't know but uh i think we're going to have I think we're going to have some kind of soft reopening because once all the renovations are actually done and the city has signed off with all of the final inspections, um, it will then take some time to get the movers to bring all the books back. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my manager and my wife and I will take, I don't know, four days, two weeks to actually restock the whole store and, if this was just restocking it as it was, uh you can switch your brain off a little bit, but we have reconfigured the store, right so most of the bookcases have come back, but we're gonna have some new furniture and some sections will have moved, you know one section will be a little bigger, one will be a little smaller, and so this requires a lot of uh you know thinking and auditioning you know it's if mm. if if you if you have a shelf and you're used to uh like 60 books between like the letters i don't know f and h of the alphabet fitting there and suddenly that shelf you know you have more books or fewer books or f is now on the previous shelf um there's a lot of just sort of elbow grease and like fit staring and frowning and thinking and and, and moving
1: <laughs> hands on hips yeah soft well. reopening though um hopefully there's inflatables involved in that <laughs>
2: Um, I'm trying Your to solution what's... to the F through H problem is quit carrying Fantastic Four and, go <laughs> and just more GI Joe. Uh,
0: that's that's uh, excellent. Uh, as for <laughs> as for soft, I mean we we do have a significant GI Joe section. That's not just some punchline because I'm a GI Joe. Yeah. You know, uh, fan or researcher, we really do have the largest GI Joe section of any store in the area. And I always look. <laughs> um, do you have toys uh, and stuff too? no uh well we don't carry toys um we have a very small glass case with two or three like statues that are marvel or dc related um it's mostly actually a showcase for the sculptures that my manager makes because he went to school for sculpture and those are actually more sort of to decorate the store and less less to sell um Mm -hmm. but i did place an order for the uh snake eyes movie toys and i ah. haven't decided if those are for me to buy through the store or for the store to sell
1: <laughs> i guess we'll see when we get them i'm just imagining you you in the um, in the charles cosplay stuff all geared up now tim <laughs> sneaking for, up ninja style on your customers
0: as for your soft uh, reopening reference i'm trying to remember i know there was a transformers generation 2 optimus prime bop bag you know the uh-huh. Those inflatable clear bags that you punch and they write themselves. Yep. I'm trying to think. Was there one? Was there one for GI Joe? And if so, how many could I get for this <laughs> soft reopening?
1: Yeah, hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen one of those, but if uh, that does exist, that would be a, a wonderful thing. Um, ready to talk some comics? Yes. Let's do it. We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's cube. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do.
2: I guess we'll
1: explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. So today we are talking Devil's Due issues 14 and 15. The creative team is Story, Josh Blaylock, Pencils, Kevin Sharp, and Brandon Bado. He's bad, he's bad, he's bado. And uh, Inks, John Larter, colours, hi-fi colour designs, letters, dreamer designs, copy edits, Scott World, Graphic Design, Mike Norton, and Military Consultation, Tim Ever. Uh, let's talk covers. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So got two covers here one with a viper on the front 14 and one with a photo of the main Joe's involved mutt Alpine bazooka and rock and roll plus junkyard um Jay talk us through the uh you, your thoughts on these two
2: you know it makes me think of the um the araw episode that you guys just did uh, with Alex Sanchez and Tim had didn't like the photo backgrounds in a lot of the, like the sky and the ocean. I feel kind of that way with this, with the Viper. I'm not sure if that's a straight photo or not, but it doesn't look the same as like the Viper itself. It doesn't look like an actual illustration. So uh, that, I mean, right there just kind of throws me. Plus the gun is inaccurate. I mean, the Viper <laughs> himself looks good. Yeah, it's not
1: toy accurate, is it? Yeah. No,
2: it's, it's you know, and, and how hard is it to find reference for that uh, answer? Not at all. <laughs> um but uh, it's funny that it says the ladders on the uh on the mailbox. Um so that one I don't know. I guess I just I I'm totally with with Tim in this. I've seen a lot of uh, different things and even Neil Adams on occasion. You know, will put like a a sky with you know the actual moon like a photo in a moon mm-hmm. or of a moon and it just doesn't look right in a you know, in a drawn panel or or when you try to mix those two things. I mean, I
1: th- I think this is a drawn house front it's just you know very rendered
2: colors yeah I'm not sure how they did it it doesn't I don't know it just doesn't it's kind of like when we talked about the uh, the Baroness cover a while ago um and I think Tim said that you know she could have been standing in front of anything that the background didn't or maybe it was the flint one that the background didn't quite fit
1: they're doing these image logos actually in the top top left hand corner quite interestingly that the sort of the eye almost disappeared yeah, it's almost a and it's just like a logo. little framing uh framing around it it's a nice touch you get to see more of uh, the actual uh un- un- underneath uh so you mentioned the latters um for those not in the know do you want to just uh, clarify what that little easter egg
2: refers to well didn't wasn't the actor's name who did cobra commander's voice in the sunbow cartoon chris ladder that's right yeah
1: Commander, good i'm glad i got that right i'd have
2: felt like a real idiot and starscream
1: as well yeah transformers
2: and covered to number 15 like you said the photo of uh mutt i'm assuming that's probably the original junkyard uh, rest in peace or rest in field mm-hmm. wherever he is uh, alpine <laughs> and rock and roll oh, that's not a bad cover i mean you know it's kind of like uh I don't know. It's one of those covers, like like G.I. Joe twenty six, the original one with the uh, different photographs and stuff mm-hmm, on it. It's mm-hmm. basically just, well, this is our theme, you know, this is what we're gonna do. It's it's uh they're good when they work, but they're they're not ever at this point original or, or innovative.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it sort of it does it does some you know, it does what it's trying to do fairly nicely and, and sort of show a, a photo yeah, of these. The four camaraderie of, of the guys. I yeah. think
2: Alpine looks great on that. His pose is really nice and I like that it it gives him You know, just the fact that he's got his arms draped over the other, it does give you a a little more personality of, you know, kind of hint of of what his character is like. Rock and roll looks like he's maybe a little stiffer than he should be. But, uh, yeah, it's a good drawing.
1: Do you want to weigh in with some thoughts on these two, Tim? Yeah,
0: so uh, the cover of fourteen is colored by Udon. Uh, Hmm. Udon Entertainment is a studio, uh, which for comics fans um, is... Not related to, but sort of analogous to, would like remind you of uh, Dreamwave Productions. Mm. So, um, an art collective, right? Also a Canadian studio, like Dreamwave was. Dreamwave was all the guys who did Transformers comics uh, around the same time, and uh, and their work was all anime inspired, uh, color particularly, but style and. Uh, how characters and technology was drawn. And Udon did and continues to do that kind of work. Udon does a lot of uh, Street Fighter comics and art books. So Udon has had some relationships with Marvel and with Devil's Due uh, since 2002 or so. Udon um, colored a couple issues of um, when Deadpool was relaunched as... Uh, Agent X at the end of that of that character's original run. So what Udon is doing here, these don't quite look like. I wouldn't say necessarily these are colored like how anime is colored or manga is colored. Um, but what's happening in both these covers, and I like that they match in their palette, is that the colors are desaturated. Although they're rendered, they're not rendered with an intensity of light sources. Um, and a huge difference between the highlights and the shadows so if you look at the red on bazooka's shoulder if you look look at the red on the viper that's not like spider-man red that's not like crayola marker red that's that's more like brick that's more like red with gray mixed in red with brown mixed in red with purple it's not pure red uh, and then similarly all the greens on these joes that's not like olive drab green for uh bazooka or alpine and um so uh, what that does is it is it makes these covers quieter, um, and again I like that that they sort of match right. It's a pair. You have one bad guy, uh, and there's something nostalgic about this cover right because this cover is supposed mm-hmm. to, even if you don't know the title of the story or the theme of the story, this cover is supposed to say something like America, Americana, the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like the 1950s, uh you know, two houses uh, two cars in every garage, um, and this is a two-car garage, right? because you can see some on both sides of this viper, uh, a gnome, a mailbox, a flag, and yet it's a bad guy, right? So the story of this cover is fun and compelling, uh, and it suggests actually what I think of for crimson guardsmen, yeah. right like that's who's supposed to be doing this. It's oh, yeah, it's, that's kind of what I was just thinking so so this cover is is a little bit confusing because crimson guardsmen uh they're undercover living sort of out in and amongst regular americans and then you know in their closet there's a cg red uh uniform uh, so what this sort of says is uh either like this house is um not subtly cobra it is blatantly cobra or that right. this, this house is like... under guard or this is like a base so um I don't think it's confusing that it's like wires are crossed. I think it's asking a question and Mm. I want to read this issue to find out the answer to that question. Unfortunately, um, it's enough of an exaggeration, you know, this scene doesn't really happen. We don't see a viper like this. So that doesn't happen. But in terms of the idea, this is one of my favorite Devil's Do covers. In terms of the actual drawing, Brown's inking is not all that substantial. The the rendering in the background doesn't match; it doesn't fit with the actual right. drawing and line weight of the character. Uh, the gun uh, looks like too technical, uh, and then there's sort of an out of there's a soft out of focusness to the background, so that I think that that and the rendering are what are saying to Jay like photograph, even though this is not a photo. Um, yeah. What what Dreamwave did, and I think what Udon has done in a lot of its comics is characters and props are penciled and inked backgrounds are penciled and then the colorist goes in and actually doesn't very much darken the pencils of the backgrounds and then can paint it more like an animation background right so if you think of how animation looks in let's say the 80s like and transformers you have lines around characters with solid flat color and then the backgrounds are rendered with you know soft edges um, as for the cover for 15 i i, I love seeing Joe's having a moment where things are good or relaxed, or they've just you know, even if, it, if if they're not relaxed, it's the moment after a battle, but the battle's definitely over. Like I love the idea that someone would take this photo and that this photo belongs to someone or one of these Joe's. Uh, you know, there's some there's some tears on the top left of the corner. There's a little bit of a burn, although it's not clear. I guess that's that's in the sort of like mat or envelope that the uh, the photo's in. There, there are three bullets. There's a, a tab from a soda or beer can. There's a little bit of weird melted silver on the top left of the photo. I'm going to one one thousand. Uh, yes, there's there's some T1000 liquid molten uh, metal <laughs> on the top of the photo for some reason. Um,
1: uh, it's meant to be liquid, obviously. Uh,
0: it's it's water or beer. We can place this photo because um, that's not rock and roll version one. Uh, that's his 1989 costume. What what this cover makes me think of, and the the, the comparison is not quite flattering, is uh, Michael Golden's cover to the Nam issue number three from, uh, I think late eighty six or early eighty seven. Um, so you know Michael Golden, who of course is known to GI Joe comics fans, drew most of the first year of the Nam, which was Marvel's Vietnam comic, and uh, it's it's definitely not as harsh as. That real war was, but for a Comics Code Authority book, uh, approved book, it's great. Did and Larry cover- write that? Larry was a consulting editor for the first... Okay. I
2: knew two- he was involved in some capacity.
0: Two or, three, two or three years. Or he was
2: editor for the first year or two, and then he was...
0: Yeah, he was editor for the first year or two, and then he was consulting editor as he was on his way out at Marvel. So
1: this cover... Yeah, I think he, he basically put, to- put together the team as well, so... Yes, thank he you. He recruited both art and uh, writer.
0: Yes, Jim, editor-in-chief Jim Shooter said to Larry, make this book happen, and Larry made it happen. So uh, the cover to the nom number three has uh, three of the main characters from that series, uh, a photo of them, and they're mugging for the camera because they've just gotten into trouble. There's booze and a garter, and the photo happens to be on fire, and you get the sense that it's in a hotel, maybe uh, a hotel for prostitutes in Saigon, Uh, And the whole building is on fire because everything about the background around this photo is red and orange and brown And the photo itself in a very signature Michael Golden move is all two colors It's all sort of the same purple and pink even though it's three different guys and they're wearing green But you don't see this green There's a there's a story being told here. Not only is it a photo of three guys from before having a fun a good time There's a prop uh, there's another prop, there's some debris, it's on fire. So when I look at this G.I. Joe cover, I see three bullets, mm, are those the Joe bullets? Are those Cobra bullets? I see uh, popped can from a beer, uh, the, the lid from a, sorry, the tab from a beer can, mm. Uh, the wood under this photo, uh, I think that's been, that grain has been drawn in and then the color artist applied some brown. This photo is just someone's photo. I don't know whose, somewhere. I don't know where. So this is a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's sort of evoking, I guess, the nostalgia of these guys, um, getting together sort of post GI Joe, um, where they sort of, you know, settle back more to civilian routine. And they're talking about the good old days of being in, in GI Joe and, and reminiscing and looking at the, the photos. It also puts me in mind of, um, uh, hitman by um, garth ennis and john mccree where where they also used sort of those photos of back in the day in uh, service as a bit of a, a framing uh, a framing device
0: there's 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 one last thing i'd like this cover to do to do differently um rock and roll should be much bigger rock and roll is a big mm. dude
2: and yeah, he, he looks, looks small there.
0: he looks this like the smallest of these four guys
2: here you want to talk um, about a missed opportunity Covered to number 14 Where's the cobra symbol on that gnome's hat? <laughs> why let's let's go a step
0: further, Jay. Yeah. Why why is the gnome holding a, a watering can? Why is the gnome holding some kind of cobra weapon, like Cobra Commander's laser pistol or Zartan's? I mean, yeah. that might ask that might ask a question that we can't answer. He
2: needs a cobra symbol on the hat, and he needs two on on one of each of his little red shoes.
0: I like that <laughs> that both of these covers. Um, indirectly refer to what's happening because we never see this scene in these two issues where the joes you know 10 years ago after a battle are like thumbs up for the camera we see them now you know getting back into it but but in in a in a civilian setting right they're at a bar
1: on back covers we've got uh, david michael beck uh, continuing with uh, his painted back covers we've got uh, roadblock this time uh yeah blasting away and on uh 15 we have got a trio of crimson guards around and on these cobra sort of gargoyles uh with uh cobra flags in the uh in the background uh yeah roadblock looking a little bit strange in in the in his uh body turn and the uh Crimson Guards looking somewhat somewhat different to my ideal model of them, they're kind of looking a bit more sci-fi and angular, but uh, yeah, nice that they're continuing uh, with uh, the bet covers. Let's move on
2: into the plot breakdown. Take it away, Jay! After the skirmish with Cobra and the Dreadnoughts in Chicago, rock and roll uses some much needed time to visit a couple former Joes, Alpine and Bazooka. Joining him on his trip are the G.I. Joe team's canine officer, Mutt, and his new puppy, Junkyard Jr. Meeting the former Joes at a bar in Delphi Hills named Old Clyde's, the Joes notice something suspicious. A number of men in black suits walking th- towards the bar, through the bar towards the back room. When they inquire about the room, the bartender, Old Clyde, tells them there's a private poker game taking place there. Clyde overhears one of the Joes use the name Gung Ho and places a phone call to High Command. Bazooka visits the restroom as the other Joes prepare to leave. Clyde insists they stay for another round of beers on the house. Handing the drinks to Rock and Roll, the savvy Joe notices a Cobra ring on the old man's finger. Suddenly the bar erupts with Cobra agents and the Joes are taken captive. While Rock and Roll, Alpine, and Mutt are taken to the basement, Bazooka is locked in a storage closet. Cobra Commander arrives to interrogate the Joes. Bazooka escapes and attempts a rescue, but is delayed by the arrival of Big Boa. In the ensuing fight, Bazooka fires a rocket and destroys Cobra Commander's semi-trailer. In the commotion, the other Joes escape. After their retreat, Cobra Commander orders all trace of Cobra be erased from Delphi Hills. Excellent
1: stuff. Uh, so we've got a roll call here of uh, Bazooka, Rock and Roll, Alpine and, and Mutt as the lead Joes. And yeah, it was nice to uh, nice to see them make an appearance. I've got uh, fondness for uh, all of those, uh, particularly yeah, particularly Mutt is, is, a, is a big favourite of mine. One of my very first uh, figures I ever bought. Um, yeah and it's good to see these guys uh, who are probably sort of the the G.I. Joe B list and even into the C list getting uh being a bit more front and uh and center you know and uh, just spending some time with them and and hanging uh hanging out and the the story itself was yeah simplistic in its in its approach very uh very much focused on a, a single straightforward uh story of this kind of these guys getting together to reminisce and and hang out and sort of stumbling into a uh, cobra plot in suburbia what did you think what, what did you think of it um jay maybe your reactions first
2: well there was a lot of stuff that i didn't cover obviously in the uh, in the plot breakdown cuz i wanted to try to keep that brief we did have at the very beginning of the issue i think it was rock and roll was kind of filling mud in on what happened in in, in chicago and he's telling them you know Police came and took the Dreadnoughts away. We never did see Zartan. Don't know what happened with the Dreadnoughts. And then they kind of show you in a panel that it was Zartan disguised as police that was taking the Dreadnoughts away. He he kind of echoed some of our questions from the last uh, from the last podcast about what was going on with Firefly. Not answered, but repeated them. So, it, you know, it let me know that the creators of the book were aware that there was probably some confusion there. The art in this was much better, I thought, than than in the last the last two or three issues. I, I love the the way that he draws uh, Junkyard Jr., uh, the little puppy. And then, um, you know, we have a lot of stuff, too, with uh, Cobra Commander, you know, trying to whip Mindbender into shape again. And I'm not sure if it was this issue or the next one where we have uh, some, some juggler action. Baroness is kidnapped uh, by somebody. We don't know where that's going to lead. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to like. I like that you, you know, like you pointed out that we we just focus on the four core Joes, you know, it's strange to think I th- you said maybe even some sea listers You think about those guys, it's almost like if there's sea C-lister among them, it's probably rock and roll, um, not in terms of the comic book, but just, you know, we've never seen him. I don't think in any other media he may have appeared in some of the cartoons, but he certainly wasn't ever spotlighted. Definitely not as much as Mutt was. Uh, Mutt was probably a pretty big player in, in a lot of the cartoons, and of course Alpine and Bazooka were front and center in, in a lot of the cartoons. So uh, you know, but they haven't really been seen since since the return. In terms of the comics, Mutt
1: and Rock and Roll had quite a few much appearances, yeah, um, and Rock and Roll and still in, to this day. And for the other two, Alpine and Bazooka, very little very little time on the in the pages in the comic but uh, but quite big characters uh, in the in the cartoon and and obviously part of what they're doing in this book is, is sort of is trying to to balance um, balance the kind of a feeling of the cartoon but also the the comic together and sort of you know recognizing that that people are coming to this you know w- and bringing in their nostalgia to it and not just what was previously in the plot of the Marvel Larry Hammer books, but also their their memories of the the cartoons and their fondness for the for the toys and the and the and the cartoons. I don't yeah I think I might have jumbled up my words then, but yeah the Yeah. So so sort of a, a lot of the uh a lot of the cartoon the cartoon sort of history sort of being incorporated almost mm-hmm. into into the book as as well. Uh you mentioned yeah Junkyard Junior, uh who yeah seems to be who you know has the appearance of a, a younger dog seems to be drawn i i it looks to me here like a a rottweiler we've we've discussed before about what sort of of dog he might he might be he sort of appears um kind of as uh as different sort of dog in different uh medias we've seen him as a doberman rottweiler alsatian and sort of potentially mix of you know other other unknown to be defined dogs um, He's the mutt really.
2: <laughs> and we do have an appearance too by uh Lillian. Again. Yeah. And it appears that maybe she's does he say that she's she's been brainwashed or she's been, you know, yeah. She has um, been brainwashed. Enjoying the latest brainwashing efforts Dr. Meinman performed on her. Yeah, so she's <laughs> kind of kind of dazed. You know, who knows what probably insidious torment the, Cobra commanders heaping on her on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, so he's he's getting off on being uh mean to her, and she is, you know, in this subservient, slightly um, sexed up, uh, outfit uh as as well, which we kind of uh yeah we we wondered, we wondered what Cobra Commander's interest might be in in uh, in in her, and uh, uh, and also whether she made a return, and I think she's sorry, and we speculated whether she would make a return, and so uh, it's nice to see that that plot aspect hasn't been forgotten or, or sort of left lingering too too long that it, uh, that we have uh, seen a, a return of both her serving Cobra Commander but also uh, Alexander, I think he was on his uh, hands and knees scrubbing the floor for, for Destro.
2: Yeah, get that floor clean, Cinderella.
0: <laughs> this issue does a good job of uh, alluding to the previous arc and the new status quo of, you know, Cobra is back, G.I. Joe is back, um, but also time has passed and, uh, you know, the teams are, I mean, back sort of as, as organizations, but also sort of how, how well equipped and populated they are, um, while also telling a core story over two issues of, you know, these four Joes getting in trouble in a small town and also doing a little uh, light reminiscing so I, I like overall uh, I like these two issues um, there's there's a there's a focus to it the art is um, I'll, I'll be honest I guess I guess I guess I can tell the difference between uh, Kevin Sharp's pencils looks like he's doing the first you know ha- half the issue uh, for 14 and then Brandon Beto takes over and does the second half um badeau's characters are all a little beefier Mm -hmm. uh, particularly his bazooka and there is a uh this word's going to sound wrong but there's sort of an articulation to how Mm -hmm. he draws like clothing folds and uh hair and how he sets that up there's it's a little bit busier and it, it reminds me a little bit of bart sears um although uh badeau went to scad I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. SCAD is the only undergraduate, or or maybe at the time, uh, uh, only undergraduate program, accredited undergraduate comics program in America, where you can go to school, not for illustration and happen to make comics, or fine arts and happen to make comics, but a comics program. You can graduate with a degree in comics. And uh, I think he's a good fit for G.I. Joe Although once the fighting starts happening in the second half of issue 14, sort of everyone looks like a a giant football player. And (laughs) whereas on the cover to 15, I want rock and roll to be bigger. Actually, kind of in a Bart Sears way, uh, everyone, all these like generic civilian disguised uh, Cobra bad guys and these four Joes, they all just look uh, huge, Mm -hmm. um, which is... Uh, a little bit much um yeah. escape but, from a
1: he-man cartoon <laughs> uh
0: yeah um also while while i like the plot point that the joes notice this cobra ring on the bartender and we see the cobra ring earlier when he's making a it's a phone call right or he holds up a holds up a, holds up a beverage i'm a little torn because isn't, I mean, I know we have some in-jokes, right? Like ArbCo, you know, Cobra's shipping company is just an anagram of the word Cobra. Like, you know, uh, broke a beach in New Jersey. That's just an anagram of Cobra. Like that's the comic having fun with us and winking, right? Because it would never be that obvious in, in the real world. And I don't know. I, I, like, I like the visual storytelling of a Joe seeing a Cobra ring and knowing that something is wrong. But also like, wouldn't, wouldn't Cobra be more careful than that um there in terms of sort of references to the comic um on page uh 15 uh a small old man with uh, a big white mustache in overalls sort of uh the odd man out in this bar right like he's not a big beefy linebacker joe or cobra and he's holding uh, a squeegee like for uh, cleaning windows uh, so all of a sudden, you don't see him enter, but he's just standing there. And he says, I'm here to be viping your windows. Where do I start? And the bartender says, um, sure, just a second, Vinny. That'll be 25 plus tax. I'll go ring you up, he says to the Joes. So uh, this is a very cute, not hilarious reference to an episode of the show from 1985 called The Viper is Coming, which, which just redoes an old comedy bit from, I forget, you know, Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers or something, where... Uh, in this episode, uh, the Joes actually are having some R&R. They're all hanging out, and barbecue is uh, going to make them food. And uh, they get this phone call from someone with an accent, and he says, the Viper is coming. And he gives them some numbers. And then so over two or three scenes, uh, different squads of Joes go to different places around the world thinking that those numbers are coordinates, and they find Cobra bases, and they take them out. And at the end, this the Joes are all armed up and surrounding barbecues, I think it's his house, uh, sort of in the city. And the Joes are ready for this big Cobra assault. And this little man with a white mustache and glasses and a little pushcart shows up and he says, "Uh, I'm the Viper, I've come to Viper windows. I charge 5.75 an hour. Uh, I start on left corner, uh, top floor, something like that. And he's sort of restating all of his oblique number references from these three phone calls which was sort of his rate and like where he starts on the building and the Joe's all laugh and it's a fun, great episode. So here's this character specifically pulled from an episode of the show, but the joke's already been done. So having him here sort of tells the sets up, like it's going to tell the joke again. And yet at the end, he's actually like one more Cobra and he like helps knock out one of the Joe's. Right. Um, I don't, You know, I said before, I think like pulling in extensive Enterprises and how Talmex and Zaymot speak from the cartoon. I like that. I think having certain camaraderie from the show, which we never saw in the comic, like Alpine and Bazooka. That's fun. Uh, This one seems overly cute and Mm -hmm. distracting.
1: Yeah, a little bit crowbarred in. Like, hey, you remember that guy from the cartoon? Look, there he is. (laughs) Haha, he's
2: here. Uh, And and like you said at the end, he turns out to be a Cobra after all.
0: Right and sorry. Uh, when I was going, I was starting about the ring, the ring that's on the bartender. Um, uh, when he calls it in, I need to talk to high, to the high command, uh, and then we see the ring on his finger reflected in Roblox glasses. That's good visual storytelling. I like that. The Cobra logo on the ring is never actually drawn well, and. That might seem like a little nitpick like tim it's a very small thing on a very small thing like cut him some slack like no the cobra logo has to be drawn perfectly when it is a plot point
1: harsh i don't know it's it does it yeah it doesn't seem badly drawn to me it's uh yeah you've got to be paying really a little bigger. bit of attention
0: well that's that's the thing mark you have to really be paying attention right it's it's you can <laughs> you can i mean as the reader right like there's a blue thing on this guy's finger and and sort of a red thing that resembles a cobra logo and I know what it is. But I think if I gave this to my like cousin or my neighbor and like they, they don't follow GI Joe at all, they wouldn't pick up on that plot
2: point. I didn't catch it in in uh in his glasses. The reflection in in Rock and Roll's glasses, which until, either shows that until you're... you just said it. Okay, so I mean... uh, so
0: Jay, either you're reading it a little fast or a little distracted or it's not drawn clearly enough.
2: Yeah. Oh damn! Like issue I, I, one, when um Kamakura hands Snake Eyes the data disc or something, and you just barely see Kamakura's hand in the corner of the panel. I mean, it's like it's just you know, it's not it's not there, and, and that's the main focus of the panel should be is like here's this guy's handing somebody something else, uh, and this yeah is just like hidden in there, hidden. Yeah, I mean, too it's, well. it's
1: it's it's spelt out with quite a lot of repetition. We see the ring at least what, one two three four times and then in dialogue it's reinforced as well that this guy's cobra wearing a ring right in front of us displaying it's a trophy so you know it is it is clearly signaled to to the reader so i think um i think it we can't quibble too much about that but is um, it
0: is it said in the dialogue because it's not clear enough in the art does the dialogue have to clean up Good (laughs) storytelling. That's not like excellent, perfect storytelling. Can I can I shift gears to something else that didn't quite work for me?
1: Here come the nitpicker, Timmy Finn And I did did a cool prankster, Timmy Finn Picking holes in your colouring, Timmy Finn Still loved your joke, Timmy Finn No, no, he won't lie Yes, he testified Anyone can see there's some Criticism. criticism Anything that he, he don't know, know Ain't a thing that's worth but to know Pull him back and let, let him go. go Criticism Here come the nitpicker Timmy Tim. Finn Analytical prankster Timmy Tim. Finn Picking holes in your coloring Timmy Tim. Finn Still, Still love your joke Timmy Finn
0: no, this, is, this is very small. Uh, I have I have spoken before about lettering in Devil's uh, do Um, and this one, I don't know if it's sort of lettering or scripting, but okay, before I, before I call up the example, I I just want to, I just want to set up a comparison. Sometimes while recording this podcast, I might need to cough. And so I will, uh, mute this mic and then I'll, you know, (coughs) I'll cough. Okay. So end of example, what I just did there was I used a word, C-O-U-G-H. That's the word cough. Also, then I coughed and in comics, one of those would be spelled out and one of those would be either a sound effect or those five letters, C-O-U-G-H, with like little lines on either side. Like if you're texting it to your friend, you'd put like an asterisk on either side of the word cough. One is a word spoken, the other is a sound. On page three, in the second, in the, in the final panel, uh, Rock and Roll and Mutt are going up the stairs to this bar and Rock and Roll says this word that I don't understand what it is and it's K-M-P-H uh, exclamation mark and then the word snicker. Right. So if he's snickering, like that needs to be in italics or needs to have like little like effect lines around it. I don't mean like a giant bubble letter yellow sound effect, like blam, this can be in a word balloon. Um, so I actually don't, I think he's like, I think he's like guffawing, or I think he's you know like TSK, like, oh, I think he's making a sound like this. Right. And then Mutt says, what, you got a problem with a man showing some love to his dog? And then rock and roll says, I don't know how to say this word, KKKMPH right? (laughs) Um, 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 um. I think he's he's incredulously and sarcastically guffawing to his friend. And I know it seems like I'm nitpicking. Like, Tim, you're spending two minutes on one word, in one (laughs) word balloon, on one panel, on one page. But in comic, comics are really hard to make. And to make excellent comics, you have to be able to do like 32 things uh, adequately, or even better, well, and that's like lettering and how you treat because in comics, like lettering is part of the art, and this is all a visual language. So, what? I, so, and and this distracted me and it confused me, and I don't want to be pulled out of the story. This isn't like Josh Blaylock, you're fired. This is like I don't get it. Oh well, I have to figure it out. Okay, I'm going to go back to reading the story.
1: Now, now I'm just spotting this sort of thing throughout the entire book. <laughs> I'm seeing bazooka uh, uh n-u-h, h-u-h. And then later on, uh, n-h-n-h. Then we've got Mindbender saying, ahem, in uh, inverted commas. We've got Baroness saying, gasp, g-a-s-p. Hm. Um, later on, we
2: have Cobra Commander saying, sigh. <laughs> the door in the limousine should probably lock. be click instead of lock. <laughs> True.
0: So, okay. So some of these, uh, some of these, your mileage may vary. Some of these to me don't read like errors. Um, and lock versus click, like you could be sort of cheeky with the sound effect of a door locking and it could be like lock, which is L O C K, right? Like, you know, they're all the, they're all the different words and made up sounds for explosions or guns firing or guns clicking. Right. So, this isn't like all of these are wrong or all these are bad. And th- I don't just see this in Devil's Due. I see this sometimes in Marvel comics where someone says, someone's saying the word cough, but they should be coughing because I'm enjoying th- these two Joes catching up. And because like I baby talk my cats. So here's here's a Joe baby talking his dog. So I'm really into this moment. And then Roadblock says these weird two sounds and I'm like, ah, I'm out of it.
1: Couple more observations from, from me. We've got, um, the Joes calling themselves uh, by their first name. So we've got Dave and Craig, um, which I think is a uh, bazooka and uh, rock and roll. Uh, they still call Mutt, mutt which um, I like that fact that um, he is uh, still, yeah, still still his code name, still very much uh, a Mutt. Um, I'm generally, it seem it, because we never really saw it in the original Hammer Run, Whenever I see kind of the um, Joes calling them by their first names, it always seems a little bit off to me. But um, I can uh, definitely uh, live with that, you know. Particularly if there isn't an implied knowledge that you'll remember all of the file card names of uh, every single Joe, which uh, I'm, my knowledge isn't uh, isn't there yet. And um, the other one was yeah Brandon Brado you were talking about Tim yeah sort of very interesting style um, I think generally yeah I I do like it it, it you know comes across very professional and, and slick um, I find the way that he draws Crimson Guards very uh, interesting and unique the way that uh, I think you kind of mentioned this as well, that there's a this interesting folds going on in uh, their their outfits, and again maybe it's not completely on model the way that everyone would draw it, or the way the file card looks, but yeah it's an interesting take and interpretation, and even the uh, the, his kind of take on Cobra Commander, again lots of uh, ornateness and details and clips and buckles and textures going on there and you know again the foals in his uniforms but uh, particularly striking about him is the the size of the holes in his uh hood (laughs) he uh i was gonna say something about that i don't like that yeah i don't i don't know that i like it or dislike it as a as a definitive take i don't think i would want it to be there but as a uh, as a kind of one-off seeing a, a different interpretation i think there's room to to see it as a different, but yeah, they are they are big slots, and they they go almost all the way down to, you know, the bottom of uh, his his nose. So we see a lot of that uh, top uh, top cheek action.
0: Here, let me let me uh, let me point out one more storytelling, uh, a, a character thing and a storytelling thing. Um, a couple pages into fourteen, Cobra Commander is is upset about the last story arc, and he is yelling <laughs> at Doctor Mindbender, and Mindbender is taking it. And I like this scene, and. Uh, Cobra Gander says, uh, hear me now, Dr. Mindbender, you're gonna find out where the bat is and you're gonna help find out how Firefly knew of its existence, how he took control and where he took it. And after that, you're gonna help find out who he's working for, who else wants the bat technology, another terrorist organization, the division of the US government, I want answers. And then Mindbender meekly, politely says, yes. I... <laughs> Dr. Mindbender in sort of every version of GI Joe becomes the sort of main Cobra technologist and occasionally he's actually fulfilling his primary function from the toy line which is cobra interrogator right I hope I'm remembering this correctly um he ends up being like catch all cobra mad scientist and inventor and some of that is what like destro and mars and scrap iron should be doing um so i feel like this scene, it's a little bit off because Cobra Commander has a lot of, I mean, he has spies, he has Zartan, he has the network of Dreadnoughts, he has intelligence, you know, like the Baroness, he has inventors and people who equip him, Destro. And, you know, if the scene is to show that he's just impatient and he needs to yell at someone, Mindbender can be his punching bag. But reading these two uh, word balloons, this like, laundry list of of things like i think only half of those are mindbender's job and certainly mindbender can delegate but i'm always interested in writers of gi joe stories using the various uh, capabilities and organizational structures of gi joe and cobra uh, not only like in a novel way but sort of properly one more, like signature to, tim- to, complaint. To be,
1: to be fair on that, they sort of the that in that arc, uh, Doctor Mindbender was kind of positioned as the, uh, the architect hmm. lead on this bat project. That's fair. So it uh, it was him that uh, that was
2: overseeing this thing that went disastrously wrong. So yeah, he okay. should cop the blame for it. I think that they've kind of positioned him really, uh, almost as a number two. I mean he's just a step down from Cobra Commander. And yeah, a lot of that stuff is not his uh his direct control, but it, it feels like you know, Cobra Commander would tell him to do anything and then Mindbender delegates that further down the line.
0: And and we do see this nowadays in a real American hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mindbender is most yeah, often he's the person always with that, him. That Cobra yeah, the Cobra is talking to. Um, on the final page of issue 14, part 1 of 2, um in the i I love the reveal by the way Uh, the second to last page where everyone else who is in this bar including the the characters who don't look like big dudes who are obviously who could be bad guys but like that lady that other lady the woman the larger woman with a cane the little kid um so there's this reveal where they all have weapons and they're all about to take the joe's prisoner um so uh, Bazooka has exited the scene temporarily to relieve himself. So on the final page, uh, the sort of pandemonium of this reveal is calming down and the Joes are, are outnumbered. And one of the bad guys says, Drop it, punk. You think we, can, you think we care if you take the old man out? Because rock and roll has a gun to the bartender's head. And the, the, the big lady with the cane and the pistol, she's turning back towards the, the, the reader and she's pointing her gun and there's a sound effect that says, Flush. And she says, What's that? And then in the next panel, uh, we're looking at Roadblock and he's standing in front of a hallway and he's saying, saying, oh, sorry. Thank you. We're looking at Bazooka and he's standing with his hands up because he's just walked back into this scene with guns drawn and he doesn't have a weapon. He says, hey, guys, guess what I. uh..." So, again, like sometimes you can tell the story with a couple less words. Like I have never been in a room where a toilet flushes like in a bar and you hear it down the hallway and then someone doesn't know what that is and says aloud what's that <laughs> so the, the little bit of overwriting here
2: um, i want to know what bazooka's asking them to guess <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah maybe that's what i saw in the bathroom it's the world's loudest toilet <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna,
0: sometimes, to sometimes
1: either someone lost a brown shoe or i just saw oh guys
0: (laughs) sometimes sometimes you're in a restroom and they've put like the newspaper up over the urinals or there's like a little tv with the news i bet it's novel like hey they've got
2: motion sensor soap dispensers here
0: so i'm like oh no bad guys with guns
2: i used to work in a restaurant that had the wall street journal every day Mm. pasted on the wall right right by the urinals so i go in there and do what i needed to do and Um, then i'd be standing there reading an article and i'm like dude get out of here
0: so i've only been talking about 14 um and i can i know i know mark's talking about these sort of together um i like 15. uh the the story expands a little bit we get a full page reveal of what these mysterious men in suits were doing once they enter the bar and then go to the basement right uh they're they're wearing hoods they've got the lights are out they've got they're taking notes someone's someone's doing a presentation with a map right so it's like some kind of cobra conspiracy
1: mm, very like mysterious and illuminati and because uh, you know it's almost like uh religious robes or something, isn't it? It's,
0: yes, because they all have they all have hoods and there's a little bit of shadow on all of them so you can't quite see their eyes. This, this reminds me a little bit of what is actually the final episode of G.I. Joe in the original run. The final episode to air in season two uh, before the movie, Into Your Tent I Will Silently Creep, which is about a conspiracy within Cobra uh, to uh, depose Serpentor. And there's a little bit of imagery in that episode where... There are some sort of regular cobra characters, but they're in robes, right? They're not wearing like viper uniforms. A couple pages in, uh, the the woman in charge of these bar patrons who are all uh, cobras. Oh, she's referred to as Granny. Um, she sends one of the big guys out because they know that there was a dog, right? And so he's outside. Here, puppy, 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 come here. Come on, puppy, where are you? And there's a there's a big panel of him kneeling down we can see the car and the bar behind him, and he's holding the leash, and the leash is torn, and he says, uh, and the leash is tied up to a post, but the other end of it is torn. There's no dog, and he says, damn. And this is just a good page of story progression and also visual storytelling that, that, that push, pushes forward the narrative that, uh, you know, Mutt Jr. may rescue the Joes, or the writer Blaylock is, is remembering that it wasn't four Joes who showed up, it was five, it was four humans
1: uh, and a dog. And, and think the payoff of that, right, of eventual payoff of the of, um, Junkyard Jr. chewing that um, is, is not some uh, doggy heroic rescue attempt, um, Littlest Hobo or Lassie-esque, It's it seems to be just that he didn't want to be tied up, he wanted to be in the car, <laughs> and so... Yes. Yeah,
2: so I was looking the through these... there for some kind of rescue from from Junkyard Junior, and I didn't see it. it was I, just... I'm, but I was uh, expecting it, in the like car. you said, Tim. Uh,
0: Mark, thank you for remind for reminding us that that is a nice. Uh, it's not quite a misdirect, but I think we're still used to well and poorly told versions of this. It's like, oh, the dog's gonna rescue them. It's like, no, no, the the dog might just like go sit in the car because it's hot, or doesn't right. want to be tied up. Wants to like sit on the soft upholstery of the car Mm -hmm. um the next two pages after this scene are at uh joe headquarters at wright patterson air force base um duke uh is leading a briefing uh lady J uh sort of debriefs from the previous arc and then duke explains the new status quo uh this is duke not hawk
1: right yeah it's duke in um it's duke in the green suit okay
0: okay right um Mm -hmm. And uh, and he's explaining, it's a lot of dialogue, but it's, it's, it's not too much to read for two pages, how uh, the Joes are going to be um, positioned across eight sort of undercover uh, bases across the the states. Um, and I like this. You know, if you're going to start G.I. Joe up again, whether or not time has passed, I think it's fair to, you know, I don't love every all the changes that Devil's To Do makes, uh, but here, not having all the Joes, you know, just... Just on Staten Island in New York or just under the desert in uh, New Mexico. This is fun. This is fine.
2: It makes sense. Yeah. And and yeah, I like how, like you said, I mean, it's taken them to issue, what is this, 15? To kind of set up the new status quo, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's bad. I mean, I definitely think it's it's kind of working into a groove. And I mean, I don't know if, it, if eight
1: locations is quite sufficient to, to cover an entire country this the size of uh, the the US but uh, you know certainly more so than than just two, two, two locations or, or one location um, I also like in this uh, in this um, sort of briefing that they've got that they say that they'll they'll be given all of the details on an inverted commas uh, PDF and then delete it in two days memorize it like uh, oh what is this mysterious new technology from the future <laughs> yeah uh, p-
0: in two thousand three, a PDF is such a such an uncommon format that it needs to be uh, put in quotes. It needs to be offset in quotes. Yeah. Um, we have a first appearance of a uh, of a GI Joe toy character from many years earlier, making his mm-hmm. debut in the comics. And Jay and Mark, I wanted to know what you thought of this character
2: and this scene. Big Boa. Yeah. Oh, I thought it worked. I, like I said, I didn't read all of the original Marvel run. I kind of dropped dropped out around 110. So I I wasn't aware that this was his first appearance, Uh, but definitely it it works. And I mean, when he appears, you're like, whoa, holy crap. And, you know, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good scrap between him and and Bazooka. And I do like that. It kind of made me think of, uh, in a way, uh, Golden Age X-Men with art by Travis Sharae, where he uses lots of little panels on one page uh, to tell the story. And, you know, I've complained before about the camera being too close at times. I think this is just right in most of these shots. I'm really enjoying this artist's work uh, on the book compared to a lot of what we've seen before. Uh, His work throughout here, when I was reading it, there were scenes uh, in the basement with the vipers and stuff. As I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, that looks really good. I was really pleased that, that I think that the art is getting better. And uh, storys getting better too. I'm, I'm you know I think I'm starting to enjoy it more. Not that I wasn't really enjoying it before, but you know there were some rough spots.
1: Yeah, it's definitely picking up a yeah. picking up a gear and, and, and everything that we've been sort of complaining about before is is generally improving the the pacing, you know how much they're trying to fit in in, in every issue, the, the amount of words they're trying to fit into a speech bubble or into a page, just the the look of the lettering the the look of the coloring i mean it's still credited as hi-fi design on these on these issues but the, the coloring is looking um better on these issues and, and kind of, sort of toning of things, it down a little in some yeah, spots like like the the things that we were talking be- last time about um those you know sort of the light Metals sources on every lights. single piece of yeah. metal you know that that isn't seen um seen here and and yeah it's sort of a a, a and but it's you know it's still quite there's a lot there. There's you know, like that you're talking to there the panel with the fighting with um, big boa, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, panels on a single page. But it it reads well and then, you know, it it's a fast-packed action sequence, so it's sort of from panel to panel to panel to panel, you know. Um that, that works. And it feels like a big reveal and a big sequence, but you know, literally Big Boa is on just two pages of this. Uh, entire arc but it you know it feels and reads like a a big component uh of it so which which kind of points to it being handled well i th- i think um, so his
0: yeah. his visor the visor of his helmet is not just glowing it's really glowing in the panel the big reveal panel where we see where where we see him so mm-hmm. uh i think the coloring is Uh, Not as bad as previous issues, but for me, it's still 2003 overdone, kind of bad. Yeah, this Um,
2: sequence could be toned down a little bit.
0: So a couple characters uh, in these two issues, I think this happens two or three times. In a comic that's not going to have narration, like a third-person omniscient um, omniscient narrator, and in a comic that's not going to have like X-Men-style like just a little rectangle above each person to to uh state their name or their code name right like it's all going to come out in the dialogue on the second page with big boa he and robot uh excuse me um, bazooka are are exchanging hits and he said and he gets hit and he says that's it that's all that's all the hits you're getting in on cobra's main trainer sorry mark and jay this is the last complaint that Talking Joe's resident complainer is gonna make about this comment because like no one talks about themselves that way <laughs> like I don't we'd say
2: you're lying
0: <laughs> I don't <laughs> refer to myself like by who or what I am in order to explain it to someone who's watching or listening who's not here, right especially you're in the middle of a fight yeah and then <laughs> yes. and then similarly in the second to last panel, bazooka has. He sort of, it's like he had him in a headlock and he's popped the helmet off. Mm-hmm. And he says, enough of this helmet. And uh, sort of in the shadow behind him, we can't see um, Big Boa's head or his face. And then he uses Bazooka uses the helmet to to hit Big Boa, right? We, uh, we Minnesota boys like to play fair, swack, because he swings the helmet into his face. And I feel like this is sort of like uh, the viper, the, the, the window wiper. There's occasionally in The Devil's Do Run, there's, uh, you know, or, or roadblock sort of confronting heavy duty. This isn't, like, sour. It isn't mean. But it's this sort of f- fanish uh like, dialogue or action that doesn't actually fit in the scene. Like, yes, as a kid, did I wonder what Big Boa looked like? If there was an entire issue that spotlighted him, like his origin or an issue where he's, like, training a bunch of new cobras or like he goes on a mission and infiltrates the pit or whatever if if there's a plot point that he like never reveals his identity or he does reveal his identity and his helmet is just i don't know armor or like oxygen like we can tell that story i'd like to read it but there does there's there's actually no room in this two-page fight scene for like blaylock to take a moment to have bazooka sort of say aloud what some fans of the toy line have always wondered it's like what you know like oh is big boa's helmet a big deal like you wouldn't say that you know like if if he's punching cobra commander and he pulls off cobra commander's hood he might say like at last we see who you really are or like i've never liked this mask yank but it's like uh, oh this cobra we've never met before it's like not not a big deal
2: um, so, well, I think he's saying that because in the first two panels, I mean, he hits him in the head with the, with the rocket or bazooka or whatever he has and a normal guy that would have like knocked him out mm. immediately. Yes. But since he has the helmet on, he's able to take it and then he hits him again. And you know, it's like, it's, a, it isn't a fair fight for bazooka because big boat has the helmet on and, and it's not necessarily a reveal of, Hey, what's underneath the helmet? It's more just like, you know, somebody's wearing a, a, hmm a jacket okay. or, or something in a fight and and you're just in a sh- you know no no shirt at all. It's like, "Well,
0: I see your point." Okay. Yeah. Uh so I'll 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 dial back uh most of my my comment. I That's do okay. Think, I do think in the in the top four panels of this second page, it could be clearer. Yeah. Like, okay, let's say that instead of like hitting him twice with the bazooka, but you don't actually see it like hit the helmet. You just see it swing past and then Big Boa is sort of like being pushed away. Let's say it was like fist to helmet punch other fist to helmet punch fist to helmet punch right and he's like enough with this helmet and he pulls it off or like i think it could be visually clearer but i i take your point that that it, it is it is more properly embedded in the moment of the fight and not this like toy thing yeah the
2: overall mystique i do kind of like bazooka's line when um, the trailer explodes and big boa says cobra commander's trailer and bazooka's like ha, that was all you Right, because he, because <laughs> he,
0: because
2: right, Big Bo punches Bazooka. Bazooka drops his yeah. rocket launcher,
0: and it goes off anyway.
2: And then Big Bow smacks him again, and he's like, "I mean, you can just see this happen." And a lot of it works. I mean, there's you know the bigger chunks of dialogue or don't fit, but uh, the pacing. I mean, again, I got to give it to Blaylock for for some of his choreography. He does really well.
1: Now, and that shot of Bazooka firing the bazooka leading up to this sequence on on the previous page, um, I think that that looked. Nice and uh, really works. Of that, the 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 actual bazooka projectile sort of, you know, swirling with uh, the oh, smoke where behind by it the towards Jeep. yeah yeah yeah, and it's swirling towards us as the audience and uh, the vipers. are take cover and then yeah, how, still got it.
0: How does the ending work for you guys?
1: So do you mean in terms of the the kind of that last reveal on the very final page? So uh, so we've got the the cobras get... are kind of blown up and and they sort of all all run away there's a there's a cleanup crew that from the Joes that come in to try and help but they don't really discover much that sort of really you know indicates what's actually gone on in this uh in this town and then there's a a family that are moving in and the the boy goes up to the top of the house and in the roof is uh in the loft is uh a cobra flag and uh like a crimson guard uniform or, or something so Like, whoa.
2: Well, two things. Tim, were you talking about the fact that basically the Joes run away? Or after, uh, at the end, when Flint or whoever it is is like, we've looked all over. We can't find any trace of Cobra. And then the kid walks in the attic and says, oh my gosh, what's all this stuff? I'm like, wow, you you Joes really didn't look that hard. I I actually mean sort of
0: uh, both. Because when the first arc ended in issue four, we talked a lot about how too much got crammed in. And um, with the malfunction arc with the bat, um, you know, less, less was happening. And that story felt like two or three issues stretched out to four. So we started this episode generally agreeing that sort of a, a good amount of action and plot progression happens in these two issues. And as Mark was saying, uh, Devil's Due is getting at this point a year in or a year and a half in, better at, ba- at juggling everything. So um, there's there's sort of two endings to this to this comic, right? There's there's the there's the the fight in the bar with the Joes fleeing, and then Cobra Commander is uh, angry, right? We can't risk the state authorities getting wind of this town's operation. Um, and then there's this uh, sort of epilogue scene where two weeks later, uh, an SUV pulls up to a house, two parents and a kid, and then. It's not—it's not very clear from the from the drawing, but sort of across the street, I guess, from this house is that bar that got destroyed, and the four Joes who were in the issue are back with some other characters, including Flint. There's some silhouettes; can't tell who it is, how big the force is, and Flint says, "Unit uh, you know, three, this is Flint. Unless you're uncovering any little miracle clues, wrap things up over there. This investigation is a bust." And then the kid goes up to the attic. So so sort of all of it. Do does this ending for this arc work? How do you guys feel about it?
1: I'm fine with it. I mean, it is what it is. I think it's it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a trope of the G.I. Joes in terms of them busting Cobras but they Cobras able to escape leaving not much of a trace behind and they're like, "Ugh, looks like, you know, looks like they got away and we've got no evidence of really what's uh, what's going on." I mean, you'd think the conclusion of that guy, that little boy going up into his loft, finding all of that stuff would be that he'd probably mention it to his parents and his parents would be, that's not normal. And hey, we've got these military guys across the street who are obviously looking into something strange. Maybe there's a connection, um, but, <laughs> you know, never mind. It's, you know, it's it's a Cobra, you know, Crimson Guard thing in the loft. That's what co- the Crimson Guards do. They, we know that they were in this town so i'm not really sure what necessarily the the grand reveal really implies other than cobra
2: was there and now they're not and they went away in a hurry i was kind of surprised by the end of the bar sequence um uh, like i said and you know and i mentioned that because bazooka's fighting with big boa um cobra commander says what's going on they head upstairs that gives joe's the opening to escape and then you go to the next page and they're just running out of the out of the bar Get in the cars, and they haul ass out of there. I was like, aren't they going to beat the Cobras? You know, it was like they just kind of left. They left the Cobras. I mean, I understand they're probably great, greatly outnumbered, but these are G.I. Joes. I kind of had a problem that they, I don't know, like I said, ran away, it seemed like.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it occurred to me that something about this, the ending of this scene, doesn't work for me until... You put it into words, Jay, that this is where either the story could have a third issue where, yeah, it's like, I feel like the next scene is these four Joes calling headquarters. And it's like, wait, didn't, didn't Duke just say that there are now eight smaller headquarters for the Joes so that they can get, it's something like, quote, anywhere in America in record time, unquote. And um, yeah, they totally
2: could have set that up. So,
0: and yet it takes the Joes it doesn't take them two weeks to come back it takes them two weeks to come back and finish their investigation up, so yeah. maybe they've been going over the town with a fine-tooth comb for 14 days but i feel like cobra Commander's here like call in an i mean don't call in an airstrike but like call in the big <laughs> gun call in the call in the big guns um
2: <laughs> Nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to make
1: sure. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the implication of the the kind of the scene of the Joes driving away and then Cobra Commander coming out and driving away himself, you know, it kind of implies that Cobra Commander specifically, but then Cobra generally um, hightail it pretty smartish immediately after the Joes have have escaped so that they're they're, they're not going to be there, you know, literally, you know, minutes you know, after the Joes have have gone, but it, it, I think there's probably just one thing that might be missing, which is that potentially, you know, if they'd have shown some of those vipers and on, you know CGs coming out of the bar, you know, shooting at the the Joes, yeah, as they're trying the to Joes escape, then maybe there's away. more peril yeah, and there's more even. kind of yeah, there's more reason for them to be running away. Yeah, the, so the scene.
0: Uh, Mark, you make a good point about it's like. Cobra's always hiding out somewhere and like the Joes, the rules of the story are that the Joes aren't gonna find them all because if they do, then there's no conflict and it's not fun to read. So yes, I don't think this needs two more pages or another issue. I think this needs like one more panel or one different panel where yes, uh, some, some Cobras are, are firing at the Joes as they're leaving uh, or one more piece of dialogue from the Joes as they're leaving something like, cause Bazooka had a rocket launcher in his Jeep, right? That's how he was able to do the damage that he did do. And, you know, Alpine has taken a civilian job. So either he carries a pistol or he doesn't, but he doesn't have like all of his gear um, on him. Uh, we we have established in A Real American Hero in the main comic series that, uh, that uh, Rock and Roll's um, car is supposed to have a sidearm in its uh, glove compartment. That's in, I think, issue uh, 89. But I feel like there needs to be one more line of dialogue. Like, like why aren't we shooting back? It's like, out, out of ammo, you know, or some, something like that. There's, there's one last little bit of um, visual confusion for me in this scene. So the Joes are fleeing, and two of them are getting into rock and roll's sort of orange- like 78 Camaro, I think that's what it is. And then two of them are getting into Bazooka's light blue Jeep. And then we do see these cars are driving away. And there's, on this final panel, uh, as they're fleeing, there's sort of a third car uh, on this page, but uh, it's sort of drawn and colored as if to say, like, not important, right? There's like a, a tiny bit of a car that's sort of like gray in the background. Um, so you turn the page, and I guess Cobra Commander is coming out the back of the bar. Because mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. So, and and a CG is saluting him. And Cobra Commander is walking up to a sports car that's like the same orange color as Rock and Roll's car. And yeah. I know we saw Rock and Roll's car leaving on the previous page, on the previous panel. But one, um, Badeau never pulls the camera back far enough to show... Cobra Commander's car in its entirety. We see the top half of the back of it. We see sort of a close-up of the wheel, and then we're looking into the passenger seat with the window down as he's turning to us and, like, you know, G.I. Joe will rue the day. Um, I think from a visual storytelling point, the camera needs to pull back. We need to, A, see the whole car, and, B, we need to see Cobra Commander actually opening the door and getting into it. Um,
1: and and c it should not be an orange car
0: yeah and and like i guess it's an orange sports car technically it's not the same orange there's more there's more brown in it whereas uh the camaro has a little bit more yellow in it but it's it's close enough that like of all the cars that cobra commander is going to drive in like in disguise in this small town does it need to be that similar to one of the joe's cars like could we just have it's like what if it was a Green um, Ford Focus, right? It's like, or just like, <laughs> a, like a a black SUV. Like, could it? Although there's a black SUV on the next page, so I take that back. This is one of those things where, you know, in in assembly line comics, the the editor, like the 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 person where the buck stops. You know, it's like a comic like this needs like a reader, who maybe is the editor, or maybe is like a different person. sort of like go over this with a fine tooth comb and say like no these two things are similar and they don't need to be and it potentially creates confusion um and if you know if you're like doing an issue of daredevil where like daredevil's just looking for electra it's like okay i got one guy i got one other character and they're in new york city and there are fewer elements right and this is a two issue story with four joes and you know, we flash over to the other Joes and the other Cobras and these other Joes in this other base. And they're civilians who are specific characters to this story, but they don't have like particular costumes. We've got a CG, We've got a first appearance of Big Boa, like, because it's licensed, because it's a team book, because they have vehicles. Like G.I. Joe is, is a complicated book to put together. And I think a complicated a book this complicated needs like one more check, one more editor, or, or fan reader to just make sure that everything is as clear as can be.
1: Yep, okie dokie. Um, let's just cover a couple of things on I Spy. I, I spy, spy with, with my little eye. eye. Uh, or two, I've got two things on my list. Uh, the first one was uh, that we got a little uh, introduction from Destro for the new Hiss tank. So the Cobra Hiss 4 from 2002. Uh, which uh, is got yeah this visual uh, cue to it uh, that's a bit different from from the others. It's kind of a this purple colour, but it's also got this front cockpit that kind of lifts lifts up almost into a a raised serpent attack position. So again, sort of uh, devil's due making a big effort to try and uh, uh, serve as a, somewhat of an advertisement for the uh, the toys that are in the uh, the, the stores. And I'm have a feeling that we'll uh, see more of that uh, particular. Tank in the issues to to come. The other observation was from the dialogue uh, from rock and roll. So he said, "What about you, Craig? Still rocking and rolling?" He said, "You know, I'll be playing with a, a friend's band, the Chaotix, when I get the chance." Uh, his friend's band, the Chaotix, of course, uh, a reference to Larry Hammer's band. So Larry Hammer was uh, guitar and vocals with uh md bright on uh bass and
0: the chaotix were playing shows in new york in 2003 this 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 was an active band at that time and uh rather than me saying like this is tacky don't make a reference to hama unless you're gonna hire him Uh, (laughs) by this point by this point uh Hama's 4 issue frontline yeah. arc yep, yep. has been published so Devils do has paid Hama.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you actually have you seen the uh, the Chaotix uh
0: live Tim? No, I I met Larry uh sort of after the band was active but uh on Larry's Facebook page, uh, excuse me, on Larry's YouTube page uh he has uploaded many years ago uh two videos. Of uh, some chaotics performances at a, uh, a club in New York uh, with high-quality audio, so you can you can watch Larry Hama singing uh, uh, blues rock with with a bunch of cartoonist friends who are all musicians.
1: Did you guys spot anything else?
0: I spy that um, Bazooka has a baseball cap with the logo of the Minnesota Twins on it, and. Did we see ArbcO in an earlier Devil's Due issue? I think we did.
2: I think we did. Okay. Okay. Uh, But it It feels like this
0: ArbcO truck, right? This anagram for Cobra from from the '80s comics, uh, gets a return appearance here.
1: Okay. And I feel like we've pointed out a few potential uh, errors already. (laughs) Was there anything else that you guys noticed and wanted to highlight? Error detected. ERROR DETECTED. NO PRIZE
2: INCOMING. Well, no, I don't have any errors, uh, you know, or necessarily any eye spies. I was just looking through it again, and I really like this artwork. Um, I mean, you know, there's some panels that are rough uh, that don't work. But overall, it's really, I mean, he's a really good artist. There's a lot of uh, just angles that he uses that are, you know, I know are difficult to do. His sense of where shadows fall, a lot of times his, his character worker's perspective is really good. I'm really, really enjoying this. I mean, there's things that, that we don't, you know, like we said, don't necessarily make sense, like how everybody in the bar is the size of the Incredible Hulk, um, but there's a lot that's that's really good. So I, I'm happy to see art that I can, you know, go through and, and just stop on, on, you know, almost any given panel and find something in it that I know as an artist, is difficult to do that he's done and done well
0: I do think that Badeau where he can do close-ups and where there there are a couple pages here that feel a little rushed compared to other pages yeah um, but uh, but he's uh, he's a, he's a better fit for the book his storytelling is clear um, and and he certainly can draw muscles <laughs> yeah um, okay so uh, my my error detected is on page 13 of issue 15, part two of these two parts, um, there's this nice two page scene where rope uh, Bazooka. Bazooka has been thrown into the walk-in refrigerator. Uh, they're out of handcuffs, so they just tie him up with rope. So uh, nine panel grid, um, half of them are silent, great page. Uh, he wakes up and he frees himself. And then in the final panel, uh, Viper opens the door, hearing something is amiss inside. Uh, sticks a gun on him and says, "Nice try." And Bazooka says, "Um, how's this going?" And then, uh, um, how it, how's it going? And then we cut to outside and the uh, back in the main bar, and the the Viper has been punched and is thrown back into the the bar, and he lands. And one of the bad guys says, "What the?" And he looks down and he sees um, one of the pins has been removed from one of these three grenades on the Viper's chest. And then we cut back to Bazooka. Presumably still back in the refrigerator, although the color behind him is bright yellow, which does not look or feel like the cold, dark refrigerator that he's been in, but hey. And uh, and he's holding two pins. He says, gotcha. And then, boom! So, um, as we know from A Real American Hero, uh, when you pull the pin on the grenade, I'm not going to get the terms right, but the pin is the, like, little loop that your finger goes in, and then on top of the grenade, there's a little sort of tiny cube thing. And then there's the sort of handle thing. When you pull the pin, those other two things fall off. And what you throw, or what uh, what, you, what you're left with is just the sort of like pineapple. Uh, and what we're seeing here on this viper's chest is uh, the pin has been removed, but those other two components of the grenade are still on it. Uh, and since he's holding, Bazooka's got two pins, uh, two of these three grenades, which must be active and about to blow are, are drawn as if they did not have their pins removed. And, you know, when I was a kid and I was drawing grenades and like cool action drawings, I didn't know how they worked and I would certainly get this wrong. I did get this wrong, but this is one of those things where, you know, like G.I. Joe is a military comic and there's some, there's some research uh, that you got to do if you don't have, a hey, like ground floor of, you know, knowledge about how like troop formations and who salutes whom and how like tanks work and you know. So um but I guess my no prize is that uh, uh Mark, you're good at this. I don't I don't have a cute explanation for why this works after
2: all. Special cobra grenades. <laughs> okay. They're not thank designed you. like normal grenades. Thank you, Jay.
1: Yeah. I
2: have a question. Uh, other than the fact that we need to get bazooka separate from the other guys story wise so that he, you know, is able to initiate initiate some kind of rescue um was there a reason in story why the cobras didn't just take him downstairs with the rest of the guys why they put him in the freezer they had them all in the in the main floor of that bar together is it because they've
1: knocked him out and he's uh he's so and you know he's a big guy
2: they, they do they don't want to drag, drag him down, down the it. stairs
0: yeah but they're all big guys
2: yeah uh, check out that little kid like tasing bazooka while he's already down. Little bastard.
0: Um <laughs> Yeah, Jay, are you suggesting that that the, the story is sort of revealing its inner workings too much, that bazooka is separated because he's the one who needs to be able to rescue them at the end? Yeah.
2: Uh yeah. Yeah, I wondered if there was a you know, why like I said, why didn't they take him with the rest of them? But like Mark said, maybe it's just yeah. because I don't know. Because yeah, he was they're all big.
1: He was out. He was out cold, whereas uh, the other ones were still awake. And they they asked them to go down to the basement so they could be
2: uh, interrogated.
1: Yeah, I know I, those guys.
2: Those guys in the robes when they when they bring them downstairs, uh, what you guys referenced was almost like a religious call. It made me think of, um, and of course this comes later uh, in publication, but it made me think of uh, the coil in the Cobra Files, where uh, Serpentor was like a kind of like a Scientology type cult leader. And you had all of these, you know, it was like that. That's what that's what that made me think of.
0: Yes, that is. Yes. G- going to my other point about, so Jay brings up that um these two issues do a lot of legwork in redeeming Bazooka after the funny or unfortunate and embarrassing appearance he makes in the first issue of this series where he's overweight he looks like he's you know put on 20 years not just 20 pounds um not only does it say does he say he's been hitting the gym does he look in much better shape um but he saves the day so if you know we're not going to see him again in this series for a long time because uh you know, the new makeup of GI Joe is that we don't always have all the people active or, uh, or if it's a crowded book and we just can't see this guy again for a little while, he does so much to sort of like fill up bazooka fans with bazooka happiness that if we don't see him for five or 10 or 20 issues, it's like, well, we'll always have issue 15.
2: Yeah, I think it really, it worked. Uh, like I said, the series is getting better. Definitely. Uh, the writing's getting pacing is better. Just overall laying out the story of uh, the world building, the fact that, you know, yeah, uh, we see that Cobra is starting to reach its tentacles into mainstream America again. I, I, you know, when, when I read Cobra from IDW, I hadn't ever thought about the idea of like Cobra having other things like uh, media infiltration or um, like the religious cult that we see in there. You know, and it was it was kind of like um, like earlier when we talked about the Joes having different bases all over the place. You, when you think about it, you go, well, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so th- the fact that they're kind of building and extending just the, the, the larger universe, I think, works really well in this. Okay, so let's get on to ranking this one with a yo Joe
1: age I think this is probably the high watermark of the series so far for me i think they're doing uh, a lot right it was enjoyable breezy good art um could follow it easily um so so yeah i think it's probably my favorite of the issues we've had so far um i don't know that it would be uh, you know in, in the mix against every single Joe issue probably not particularly high but but against these so far um yeah it's uh it's doing uh, doing the job so I'll go in with a, this, this sounds maybe a little bit stingy, but I'll go in with 6.5. Uh, cause I think we've got, we've got room for, for more to, to come. So, uh,
2: yeah, I agree with what you said. I think that this is probably, uh, probably the best that we've gotten so far. Uh, and like I just said a, a minute ago, I think that it's really gone a long way towards, uh, expanding the world and just fleshing things out. Uh, the the art made a huge difference for me, so you know it gives me a lot of hope that yeah it's it's getting better and, and it's it's hopefully gonna get a lot better. I mean I know there's a lot of people that really like uh, the Devils Do stuff, you know, and I had never read it, so I was I was eager to get into it, and uh you know we had a rough start, but I think it's it's going pretty well. I'm giving it a seven. Okay, and Tim, five, 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 uh, yeah.
0: It, uh, it's it's good um color's still ugly uh art's <laughs> art's a little wonky um art art is better but you know still a little wonky
1: take off two for not being on the right paper
0: <laughs> uh i should have never said that aloud yeah you know uh uh action and choreography are good moving along the the subplots. Um, You know the the there are some storytelling you know like talked about the the orange car where cobra commander is as he leaves the the bar the the sort of reveal with the kid at the end uh in the attic you know the a lot of these things a lot of these things are good uh nothing about this issue is like thrilling you know like it's it's just all capable and good so five
1: okay cool so i think that's us done with issues 14 and 15. Have we got time to talk about Toys Jay? Sure. J, 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 is here with a toy no fear. Talking G.I. Joe collectibles. It's a favourite figure, let's pull the trigger. Three and three-quarter inch or bigger. J, 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 J.
2: Um I kind of had something I've been sitting on ever since we started recording. You talk about wanting to, you know, bite in your tongue, uh, uh, keeping something. I got in the mail today or yesterday actually, uh, finally got my classified Zartan. Mm. So, and I waited just for you guys to open it until right now. All right. Now, I know this isn't a video, which would be much better. Uh, wow. And I'm not going to put this in, you know, I'm not recording this in video.
0: Do you have your camera? Can we get one still of your hands?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's going to be too much to uh, to try to do. But I am going to kind of go through Zartan, uh, just character history and stuff while I while I pull this out. Give me just a second. To that's really noisy. I hate those packages. No, I, let, I think I think, the, uh,
0: I think the noise is good. I think we can. It's like okay. Radium. Well, we can you know that it's real then.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely taking it out of the package for the first time. And I was excited to get this one. I'd had it on order from uh, Big Bad Toy Store since January. And, you know, they keep pushing back the, the, the pre-order date. And finally, the other day, I just said, uh, I'm not waiting for this anymore. And jumped on eBay and found one actually for only $5 more than what I was going to pay on, on Big Bad Toy Store. Uh, so I was definitely happy when it came in. And I hoped that it would come in before before we recorded today. Like I said, these packages are really noisy and Mark knows all about that. <laughs> I don't know if Tim, if you've seen too many videos about uh, about the figures. Um, there's tons of, of YouTube videos where people are gonna you know show you the figures. So I'm not gonna go through a whole lot of that. Like I said, I, I tend to like to look at the um, overall history or at least a little bit of a history of a character and how um, the design you know has progressed over the years and like I said you, you heard me take this out so I am kind of just looking at this one while I'm also looking at my notes as we know Zartan is is one of the most popular and recognizable figures from the entire franchise now according to yojo.com between 1984 and 2016 there were at least 23 different versions released in the three, three quarter to three-quarter to four-inch scale uh, he was first released in the third series which was 1984 and he came with the chameleon swamp skier. Like we all know, that breaks down and, and you know kind of becomes part of his disguise. Uh, he made his first appearance in the Marvel comic in 25 and immediately became one of the, the central characters in the series' ongoing narrative. Um, I think it's interesting that they took this character that could have almost been a throwaway and you know tied him into what became the, I don't know if you'd call it overriding or, or underlying, you know, central theme through the whole story with the the storm shadow and snake mm. eyes arc and and he became uh, intricately a part of that so i thought that was really interesting that you know like i said he could have just been a throwaway character uh, under under any other writer's hands and leading
1: and leading a another faction of uh cobra as well in terms of yeah. the, the dreadnoughts as well so so just like we had destro and mars and the iron grenadiers we've,
2: we've got um, now from Zartan zartan's Zartan. original 1990 or 1984 file card um, and, and this was really cool how they did how Larry did this file name, unknown aliases, too numerous to list. I always thought that was funny. Um, Zartan can alter his skin at will to blend in with his environment. He's a master of makeup and disguise, a ventriloquist, a linguist, over 20 languages and dialects. Now that I think about it, we were I don't think I've ever seen him really speak anything other than English in any of the comics. Um, that's something that would have been nice for him to throw in there. Um, An acrobatic contortionist and a practitioner of several mystic martial arts. Very little is known of his background and origins, but most security agencies agree he must have had European military academy training, probably Saint Cyr. Psychological profile. This is from the original one. uh, Extreme paranoid schizophrenic grows into various multiple personalities to such an extent that the original personality becomes buried and forgotten. Uh, Most fans know that there was a little bit of controversy when the character first came out, and I'm not sure how long it took them to uh, to rewrite that into something that didn't include the words "paranoid schizophrenic."
1: Tim, do you do you remember on that point what did what did they do? They they pull it and and redo it, or did they put a sticker? Or it's,
0: it's a that. running change. Yeah, just they just uh, they just, think
2: they just like, left that part off.
0: Yeah, they took a the couple of words out. And yeah. and just kept making the toy with a slightly yeah. changed print the pack. whole
2: line psychological profile I think in the, in the edited file card that just wasn't there you Now as far as the design of the character, of course the original Zartan uh, wore dark maroon pants and had a cowl of matching color Several pieces of removable body armor He had a pistol and a backpack that opened up to reveal a mask of a bearded man inside in the mask the way that it was made uh, was really neat you could stick it on his face and because of the design of the cow it would it would stay pretty well don't know how effective of a design or a disguise that would be but you know it, it worked <laughs> uh, now tim has talked about uh, iconic elements that make up a character something that every further uh variation should have to make it recognizable of uh, of the same character Most of the the 23 variations uh, in this scale uh, have a lot of those elements, the cowl, the kind of kiss makeup around his eyes, the armor on the chest, the shoulders and knee pads, and there's subtle differences from from version to version. Now, I think I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes that when I got back into G.I. Joe uh, a little less than a year ago, the figures that interested me were some of the more unique variations uh, of different characters. Now, for example, if you compare Zartan version 2 from 1993 to the original 1984 figure, if not for the eye makeup, it's practically a different character. Uh, That's really a design I never liked. I never had it. And uh, in 2020, I didn't feel any desire to go back and seek that one out. I just I didn't like the the Mohawk or the yellow pants. I didn't think that worked with Zartan. Now, I did find, you know, during that time, I found a couple other ones I liked. Doing research for this segment, I discovered a two-figure set from 2004 that kind of is interesting. They called it the Zartan Hawk Morphine Set, and it included a Hawk figure, a Zartan figure, and a figure with Hawk's body and Zartan's head. Obviously, the idea being that Zartan is becoming Hawk. Now, that set was only available at the 2004 G.I. Joe Convention uh, in, Ola- in Orlando, Florida, so I'm sure... Uh, if you were to try to find that on eBay, it would probably cost you an arm and a leg. That's not something that I'm you know, interested in, in, in searching out. I did get a couple versions of Zartan when I got back into it, ones that I thought were really cool. Um, one was version 17 from the Rise of Cobra toy line in 2009. And what I liked about that was the face sculpt on the figure was perfectly uh, the actor who played Zartan in the movies, Arnold Voslo. So I thought that was kind of a neat touch and uh, and then there was one from the pursuit of cobra line in 2010 that's a totally different take on the character um now kind of like the version 2 from 1993 if it weren't for the makeup around his eyes there really would be no indication that it's zartan and in fact it comes with a falcon so if they hadn't added that makeup and you know put zartan on the package that could have easily been an updated raptor uh, but I thought that was just such a unique look for the character because he's kind of like a desert nomad or something and you know when I saw that I was like what is the story behind this unfortunately there really wasn't much story behind it but I did think it was a neat figure so I, I picked that one up now as for the classified that I just opened up this is really yeah it's really cool I mean I've, like I said I've seen a lot of videos uh, and pictures that piece people have posted online about how nice and and detailed this figure is. Everything is really nicely detailed. His armor, um, you know, originally the armor was just kind of like uh, Michael Keaton's Batman armor. In the first movie, there wasn't a lot of definition. It was just almost like a rubber bodysuit. And in in a way, that's what the original armor was. There wasn't a lot of definition on it. It was just kind of a solid molded piece. This one is kind of uh, makes me think of uh, when we talked about uh, over designing the costumes. Tim mentioned the Captain America costume from the Marvel movies and how there's just seams and stuff on there that don't, they they just they don't need it. Um, This also has a lot of seams and uh, lines, but it it doesn't seem like it's too much, you know, I I don't look at it and think, wow, this is an over designed figure. And I think a a large part of that is there's not a lot of um, color variation, like there's a couple different variations on his armor on the chest and you know the piece that he wears around there but there's nothing that really jumps out at you so the definition is there but it's subtle shoulder pads don't go all the way down to his elbows like they did with the original they're more kind of uh almost like a football player shoulder pad and they're kind of a soft rubber so they do have some give to them that would allow for more movement of the arm if you were a person that you know used your figures to take photos or something like that i don't i just kind of set them on the shelf and um look at them his leg legs are really nicely sculpted. There is some seam work on the on the pants, which is nice. His shin guards and stuff look a lot like um, the Joes do. There's a lot of really angular design elements there. But again, it's not highlighted by adding too many colors like uh, an issue I had with the the first version of Scarlet. She had all this line work and, and detail work in her armor and stuff. And it they just put color in all these different spots. And It kind of just, I don't know, again, it it was almost over designed in a way. And if you keep that stuff subtle, you know, I think it works better. And that's why the the repaint of Scarlet works better, I think. But this one too, is there's not a lot of, not there's, there's no garish elements, you know, and there wasn't with the original Zartan either. Uh, Yeah, this is really nice. His, his cow has uh, a lot of detail and texture on it. Uh, He's got kind of a weird look on his face. Zartan was always a character that you never quite I never really could figure out you know how old is he supposed to be You kind of assumed that he was around the same age as 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 the rest of them probably in their 30s or or so Uh, but you don't know you know it's kind of like mystique in the x-men I think she got older as the series got on and I don't mean older in that the series is getting older I mean they started to say oh well she's been around forever because she can change her appearance uh, you know, maybe she's an old woman. Um, so yeah, Zartan, if, if you go back to he's physically able to change his appearance, who knows, um, his face here kind of looks uh, older. He's got like a really just kind of a wicked sly grin on his face. Yeah, this is a really awesome figure. Um, let me look at his some of his accessories. And I, like I said, I don't use the, you know, the backpacks and stuff. Um, for the most part, with, with the figures, I just put them on on the shelf, and uh, you know, some of the backpacks tend to not stay very well. I was going
1: to say what I like is is kind of how they've they're quite faithful to the kind of the iconic V one look, but then they're sort of you know they're mod, mod, you know modernizing it and, and sort of put, yeah. putting in these extra textures that you can include with today's uh, manufacturing tech techniques, and also yeah, and and can I be think like, by this bigger bigger scale and and sort of yeah they're 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 kind of recreating some quite iconic elements like kind of that laser pistol that he he's got and and his
2: pistol looks exactly the same that's something that, that really impressed me you know i complained about roadblock having the big idiot gun and uh some of the other ones having the nerf guns that just don't look right but zartan's original pistol that he came with was not based on anything that exists i don't think um so this one is very, it's not exactly like it, but it looks enough like it that, you know, like you said, it, it just looks like a a larger, slightly more detailed version. And I, I think it's even neat that, you know, like I, I mentioned in uh, in describing the original character, the, the mask that he had was um, a guy with a beard. And, and that's basically what this is, you, you pull the mask out, it, it doesn't have a beard, he has a mustache. And uh, like a little, I think they call it a soul patch or something like that, right underneath his lip. But um, you know, it's just a, a a nod to the original that they didn't need to include. You know, they just kind of did that. I, I feel like out of uh, I don't know what you call it respect uh, to the original and wanting to stay accurate. I think the the cool geek factor of of you
1: know of replicating some of those cool moments that you know you know plumbing into that nostalgia. Um, you know, rich nostalgia vein that, that that you have by by pulling in some of those key elements while still sort of keeping it fresh and putting in some some new elements. There, like his neckerchief, and like yeah. this monkey hand and snake thing that he can uh, adorn his belt or or
2: backpack um, with. Do you have this figure, Mark? Yeah, I got this one. Oh, right I didn't know you had it a week ago. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's and you know what I like about it, too, and I mentioned this when we were uh, briefly discussing Flint and Lady J from the photos that we've seen of them, it seems almost like the further on the line goes, the more they are trying to be. um, More faithful to the original designs, Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm I really like this figure. I think it's going to be really cool, and I kind of like too that, you know, they could have done like with the Baroness. You know, they released her as the Target exclusive with the bike. And, you know, I I think I mentioned uh, in another podcast, I didn't even take the bike out of the package. Uh, I just it's not something that interests me. Uh, They could have probably made Zartan with some version of a swamp skier. But, you know, 99 percent of the time as a kid, when I was doing something with Zartan, it wasn't involving the, the swamp skier. When he was in the comics, he used that a few times and then that was it you know, there's some other Joes that are vehicle drivers that we might talk about uh, soon that um, are kind of the same way, you know, after a while they become detached almost from their, from their vehicles. Clutch is a good example. Uh, You see clutch Mm -hmm. a lot, Uh, you know, you continue to see clutch throughout the series, um, but you don't necessarily see the vamp a lot, but yeah, this is a really neat figure Um, definitely uh, for, for toy collectors or for people that, that, you know, are into just picking out iconic characters, this would be one I would recommend. Uh, but no, like I said, when when I started to uh, get these, I had no intention of getting every figure. And I st- still don't necessarily feel like I have to have every one. But, um, you know, I was kind of like, well, I'm only going to get the ones that I think look really cool. And <laughs> but they all definitely look really cool. this would fall into that category. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm only going to
1: get the ones that look really cool.
2: But they all look really cool. Ah, uh, Well, we haven't seen that barbecue yet. <laughs> uh, like I said when uh you know when when it comes to do I really need the Joe firefighter eh, I'm thinking yeah. probably not okay. does it pass the barbecue test but yeah this one I I definitely recommend I think it's a great figure it's great design and he, he, you know he's just kind of a, a sturdy almost like that beachhead figure there's just a stoutness I think Tim mentioned one time he talked about how uh the the original a raw line, you know, even though they were military figures, there was almost a a softness to their features, they kind of had a a cute quality, or a charming quality. And um, these figures don't have that what I would more say about these figures is the ones that work tend to be ones that are that feel like a really solid piece, you know, people argue between what they like better the, the O rings or the or like the modern construction figures to me there was something about those o-ring figures they seemed pretty sturdy and and even ones like mindbender that you know you look at and you think that's a goofy design you know or a hardball or or bazooka these guys are going to go into battle in a red t-shirt i mean seriously but the figure was built. Well, the construction was good and they were sturdy. I mean, we sometimes played rough with those toys and a lot of them still are intact 40 years later. And it it speaks to the construction of the toys. I don't know that if we, um, had toys that were built like the modern construction figures and we abused them the way that we did some of those older ones that they'd still be around. But the, the classified ones to me are more, um, like I said, they're they're more something that's going to go up on the shelf and just kind of to look at. They're not they're not really to play with, but they're they're little uh, they're li- like they're the little statues. You know, is the way I look at a lot of these figures. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. Highly highly recommend. I,
0: I do not have this big new Zartan in front of me, but the, <laughs> the pictures that I've seen,
2: and all I those like... people take better pictures than I do. So, <laughs> uh,
0: I, you know, my my general reaction to this. Um, classified line is that uh, it's exciting to see these characters bigger and with more detail and where the figures reference uh, sort of a favorite figure from the 80s or 90s I appreciate that and um, all of them are 20% over detailed <laughs> like you know all the like You could guards. probably agree with that all the shin guards and the knees, you know, which is, you know, but I've already talked about this, uh, you know, on the podcast, like, like the, you know, Captain America costume from the last 10 years of, of Marvel movies, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's enough to just have straight up and down red and white stripes on Captain America's abdomen. But in the movie costume, you know, it's these like octagonal ridges that sort of taper and get thicker and thinner and, you know, sort of ends up looking sort of like tech or like athletic gear. Um, and, but, you know, this isn't just Marvel. This isn't just GI Joe. Like I find a lot of costume design, Hollywood production design, video game design, toy design. I don't mean toy sculpting. I mean the choices in, in, in design, you know, about 25% overdone. Uh, but I do, I do like this Zartan, and I'm very happy for all the fans who finally get, you know, like a big, awesome Zartan.
2: So. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, so um, let's move on to the next segment, which is Inuenjo. <laughs> this
2: is how the story goes. Attention.
1: At this moment, you are now listening to... Talking a... Inuenjo. If you are offended
0: by words like... Sucking.
1: Flesh wound. Willie. Pete. Balls, crystal balls, Hypno shield.
0: Whatever, take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, suck my Grandmother's mother- brick in a Prada handbag.
1: So last time I, I kind of hinted that um, that I'd run out of names and that was going to be at the grand finale of uh, Inu and Joe, but um, I did go back and uh, I put on... Uh, an even more juvenile hat uh, which had a little spinning thing at the top of it and that made me go yeah I can see some of these things
2: your little beanie <laughs> yeah <okay. laughs> fitting
1: fitting the definition of, of <laughs> innuendo, and and that definition being that if you're in the right frame of mind a lot of G.I. Joe names can sound a bit dirty and uh, dirty enough perhaps that if I give you a list of a few names and get to the end of that list without making you t- titter Yes, that's right. Titter. uh then uh, then you will have some sort of small victory. So um I think <laughs> to make the uh to make the things fair and to uh extend the amount of time that I can eke this out for we'll uh, we'll make a target of five names that I have to have to get to. <laughs> and um the voice just start he keeps my... changing the goalpost on. It. <laughs> I'm making I mean making it easier for you to win here. So we've it.
0: gotten so much uh fan mail uh email <laughs> um internet comments that yeah. that this is people's favorite segment of talking joe and and i i wanted marked uh, you know cutting it from 10 to 5 anything to keep it going longer
1: <laughs> we were inundated by compliment
2: um <laughs> compliment <laughs> that's <right>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um so so yeah you just t- your hand there i think
1: right so before i start my list i'll just sort of just casually mention a little story that i heard about a guy who was at the uh the ur- urinal and um, his accuracy wasn't particularly good and he ended up <laughs> landing on the uh floor in a in a puddle of something so you know i'm just mentioning this um this story casually um, and then i'll just start my list uh okay let's go slipstream <laughs> oh dear my devious plan paid off there we go (laughs) and I'll actually tip my hat to uh Chris Diagnostic AT McLeod uh for for that one who actually when he was talking about the most recent (laughs) Geojo issue uh, 279 uh said that uh Slipstream put him in mind of uh someone who uh, was not necessarily having the the most accurate aiming uh, so, yes, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about the aim, aiming of his conquest unless that's what he calls it. Um, wow. So- <laughs> 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 OK, so with on that bombshell, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, join us next time in two weeks <laughs> uh, where we will be talking about Devil's Due issue 16. Uh, just a one part of next time. The family and uh then back here uh, in a one week's time, hopefully we will be covering a R two eighty bespectacled, beautiful, brilliant, bombastic. Beware the Baroness bewitches in the final untold tale from living legend Larry Hammer, alongside returning GI Joe artist Ron Joseph uh you can find us in all of the usual places TalkingJoe.co.uk. the website has them all we've got a facebook a twitter an instagram and a youtube channel where you can find all of our podcasts well all of our most recent podcasts in video format with uh accompanying graphical illustrations of what we're talking about you can contact us on email and support us on patreon like our backers Richard Sam and Jay who are all getting early access to episodes as well as exclusive content so uh, head on over to patreoncom uh to uh, donate whatever you feel like and uh, and join up and sign up and get that good stuff um where can people find you guys GOJ can be found at facebook breakroom sketches Room sketches. We'll, uh, check out the likes of his up-to-the-minute etchings of the uh, GI Joe Snake Eyes
2: movie version of Scarlet. Uh, and yeah, Tim, I haven't really done anything for a couple of weeks. It's been uh, just busy with a lot of other stuff. Uh, I feel bad <laughs> letting people down. The drawings still I still are there, owe you,
0: Jay, sp- colors on your Zorana drawing oh. a month ago. That's that's on my to-do list.
1: And uh, A Real American Tim can be found at A Real American Book. Is that right? Yes.
0: <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and a realamericanbook.com.
1: Excellent. So I think that's us all said and done. And I assume that you can actually catch us down the road. Because we've been Talking Joe.
2: And we're all out of Joes. Laters. Winkers.